This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I'm so glad to have you back here. Today, we're going to talk about just kind of the basics of ADHD and how that really differs from what you're told by your doctor, your diagnosing doctor, your uh, medication prescribing doctor, whoever it may be that you're working with. Sometimes even the therapists don't tell us all of these different aspects of ADHD And they're really so, so important in how we parent our kids and parenting them with great effectiveness. Um, So I want to start jumping right in and talk about kind of the basics of ADHD. This is what we all know ADHD to be. It's inattention, it's impulsivity, it can be hyperactivity, ADHD is now diagnosed as three types. You have primarily inattentive, primarily impulsive, hyperactive, and then combination. The kids who get all of those things, um, like my son. And that's what we all kind of know of ADHD. We know that our kids struggle with paying attention in a lot of areas, but not in every area, right? If they're really interested in something, they can certainly attend to it for a long period of time. Um, So inattention is really coming into play play at times when they don't have interest or stimulation. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Impulsivity, of course, is taking action really before you think and plan about what might happen, about consequences and outcomes. Um, Impulsivity can really happen all day, every day for kids with ADHD who struggle with that symptom. And then, of course, hyperactivity. We all know that hyperactivity looks like um, bouncing off the walls um, very fast. Kids who seem like they're kind of run by a motor and it never stops. Um, That is a good indication of hyperactivity. And so this is what our doctors have told us about, right? Or this is what the basic books on ADHD tell us about. But the thing is, and what I learned over the years um, on my own by being obsessed with ADHD and reading a lot and researching a lot and interacting with other people I learned that there's several other pieces, um, elements to ADHD that are super, super important for us as parents. And they are things that normally we have to kind of dig up and learn on our own. But I'm going to share with you today um, about eight different elements of ADHD in addition to those three basic symptoms that we know from diagnosis and from um, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. The DSM is what it's usually called. DSM-5 is our current manual. 
And that's where we get those three basic symptoms and what they look like as part of that diagnostic criteria. But what I want to really focus on is all these other aspects that you really need to um, be aware of, be understanding of, and certainly to address with your children as you are raising them and, and dealing with and managing ADHD. So the first thing that I want to talk about is executive functioning. Executive functioning is basically the the governor of the brain, the governor of what we do each day. It includes planning, organization, um, working memory, emotional regulation, task initiation. It really explains a lot about a lot of kids that struggle with ADHD. They can't get started on a task without extra help. Um, They have trouble with maybe multi-step math problems because they forget where they are. They forget the next step because their working memory is poor. Um, They are the messy kid, the disorganized kid, Um, kids who have trouble planning long-term activities or projects. All of those things are due to executive functioning deficits. So those are skills that our kids are just... um, behind in to to at least behind in developmentally but um, also sometimes they really just lack these skills my son has really poor executive functioning especially in the areas of planning and organization he really is almost at a zero on planning and organization Um, the brief Questionnaire is what's typically used to evaluate for executive functioning deficits. And these are things that you can work on. You know, you can certainly work on um, helping your child to develop better planning skills, better organizational skills. There are activities that could help with working memory skills. Um, We worked with occupational therapists on emotional communication, emotional awareness, emotional regulation. Um, and that was really helpful to kind of build that skill. Um, and then, you know, there's things like giving them the right tools to use to work around those deficits. It's not just about building the skills, but it's about how to craft a life where they can succeed despite that lack of skill or low skills. So things like we just got an iPad Pro and an Apple Pencil for my son for school. He's in eighth grade because his planning and organization is so poor and he was losing lots of papers. He was having to repeat assignments because he lost them before he turned them in. He had a lot of missing assignments, incomplete assignments, and this has been a struggle for many years, and it just kind of came to a head um, recently, and we said we are going to get him some assistive technology, and we need the school to back us up and support it, and they have, and it's made such a difference. So a lot of executive functioning can be addressed with technology, like our smartphones. You know, my calendar is in my phone, and I set alerts for everything, and if they were super important items, I set multiple alerts to remind me ahead of time with enough time to prepare 
there and then to remind me when I need to leave the house. So, you know, we can address all of those things with assistive technology and in working on building some of those skills. The second element that's very common with ADHD is sensory issues. Could be sensory processing disorder, which is also referred to as sensory integration disorder sometimes, or SPD or SID. And I, what I see is that most kids with ADHD have some sort of sensory issue, they could be sensory seekers, which we often see in kids with hyperactivity. A sensory seeker is crashing into things all the time, um, maybe throws themselves down on the floor, bumps into the wall, um, and they're seeking that sensory input that they're lacking. Um, a big one for hyperactivity is proprioceptive input. And that is your sense of where you are in space, kind of your sense of feeling grounded. And a lot of kids that are sensory seekers are lacking that sense or that sense is very poor. And so, you know, they're crashing into things and stuff in order to get that extra input to feel where they are in space. So that's just one example. You could also have sensory avoiders and sensory avoiders are very sensitive. Those are the kids that we often refer to as being overly sensitive or hypersensitive. Um, loud noises um, can upset them. Different textures they could be very sensitive to. Um, bright lights, uh, chaos around them, you know, a busy grocery store or some um, something that's in disarray, clutter can affect sensory avoiders. And in that instance, again, occupational therapists are great for working on sensory issues, both sensory seekers and sensory avoiders. There are lots of different activities that they will do with your child to help them work on um, those issues. And kids can certainly have both aspects of sensory processing issues. So like my son has proprioceptive input is really poor. He's hyperactive. He crashes into things. He's not as hyperactive as he was when he was younger, but he still kind of bumps into walls and he runs real quickly and kind of, you know, crashes into the sofa when he comes to talk to me, things like that. But he's also very sensitive to sound and loud noises and overwhelming and chaotic environments. So kids can certainly have a little of both or be primarily sensitive or primarily um, a sensory seeker. But these are things that really help you understand some of your child's behaviors. I remember when my son was seven, I think, and the occupational therapist took me to the back on his second or third visit after he was done and, you know, did her, her regular check-in with me. And she said, you know, I want to share with you about proprioceptive input. And of course, I'd never heard of it. We think of our senses as smell, taste, touch, hearing, right? Seeing, visual sense. But there's other senses that our body has as well. And when she explained proprioceptive input to me and how his was lacking and what that looks like, the crashing into things, 
I was floored. I just remember feeling kind of a sense of relief because I finally understood some of his behavior and why his body reacts to things in particular ways. And so, you know, occupational therapy can be really great for that sort of thing. And I certainly, I always recommend it to families of kids with ADHD, um, if they have any sort of self-awareness or self-regulation or emotional communication issues or sensory issues, they are super helpful for all of those things. And they are a great person to add to your team of people that support you and your child with ADHD. The third element of ADHD that people don't often let us know about or talk about our lagging skills. This is something I first learned from Ross Green's book, The Explosive Child. And it might be likely that I recommend that book in just about every podcast. It really opened up our eyes, really opened our understanding of our son and again, why he had particular behaviors. Um, And what Green talks about a lot in the book is that kids with behavioral and developmental disorders have lagging skills. And we talked a little bit about that in executive functioning. Those executive functioning skills can be part of the lagging skills. Then there's also things like frustration tolerance, um, handling anger, um, having the right appropriate emotional reactions to things, those lagging skills can explain a lot. Problem solving is another one that can be really big for our kids, as well as something called time blindness. So when they don't have a good sense of time, they don't um, have a real understanding almost of time. They think that a particular activity that would take five minutes might feel to them like it takes hours. Um, And so that's a lagging skill that can certainly create some behavior issues. For example, one of my son's chores is to empty the dishwasher. His sister loads it, he empties it. That's part of their household work in our family. And so he was always resisting and complaining about emptying the dishwasher and putting those dishes away. And I said to him many times, you know, if you just do this, it takes like five minutes. It's really not a time-consuming chore. You're getting the easy side of that process with the dishes. And he still didn't understand it. He still resisted. So finally, one day, when I really was at my wit's end with all of the complaining and resisting, I said to him, you know what, I'm going to challenge you. We are going to set a timer for five minutes. And I want you to do your best to put away as much as you can in five minutes. And if there's anything left after five minutes, mama's going to put it away for you. I'm going to take care of it. So I'm promising him in that moment that he only had to do the dishwasher for five minutes. Well, guess what happened? At four minutes and 47 seconds, 
he was done with the dishwasher and he was amazed, you guys. He was amazed that he actually got it done in less than five minutes because to him, because it was an activity that he didn't enjoy and didn't want to do, it felt like an eternity. It felt like it took forever and ate up his evening, you know? So that's something that I would encourage you to watch out for and to work on. You know, that was a great strategy for me to be able to show him how much time things really take. And then that improved behavior, that improved his response to having to do his chore, being asked to do his chore. So, you know, all of those things, just that understanding of, what skills they're lagging. And that's your explanation behind behavior. It's really empowering for parents to have that information. And again, I, I highly recommend that you read Ross Green's book, The Explosive Child. And it's not just for families who have kids that are explosive. My son is not. And like I said, that was really a game changer for us. The fourth element of ADHD that we're going to talk about today that people don't often talk about or tell you that you need to watch for is self-esteem and self-confidence. Kids with ADHD innately have poor confidence and self-esteem for the most part. They are in school all day, most of them, and the traditional school environment is so built against our kids. You know, this is not an environment where they can innately succeed. And so they're constantly getting these messages throughout the day that they're not good enough, that they're not as capable as other kids that seem to be just like them. And so as parents, we really, really have to focus on self-esteem and self-confidence and building that. And that's part of positive parenting. You know, I want you to try to focus more of your day, a bigger percentage of each day on strengths, interests, talents, and passions more than on ADHD and weaknesses. That is how you're going to build self-esteem and self-confidence for your children. And these kids really, really need that extra focus in that area. Um, Jackie Flynn is going to be on a future show talking about building self-esteem and self-confidence in kids with ADHD. She is a licensed therapist. She's wonderful and she has some great insights on that. So look forward to that future episode in the coming weeks. The fifth element of ADHD that I want to share with you today is shame. And this is a big issue for folks with ADHD. And this is something that I did not really know to focus on or think about very much until I started researching for my third book, Insider's Guide to ADHD. And I was surveying and interviewing these adults who grew up with ADHD. And over and over again, a theme of shame kept coming up in in their stories. And it made me realize that you know, when you feel like you're broken, you feel like you're so incapable of being like your peers, 
you feel ashamed. You feel like there's something wrong with you. And that is just kind of a message that is natural for our kids to absorb. And we have to be their counterbalance. We have to not be shameful about their ADHD. Don't tell them to hide it. Don't hide it from their teachers and their coaches. You know, talking about it openly helps your child and it helps them realize that it's nothing to be ashamed of. They just have a different brain. They have a different way of doing things and they have a different set of weaknesses, but we all have weaknesses. Every single one of us has things that are not our strongest areas. And it's really important to share that message with your kids really quite often so that they are not ashamed of who they are and they can be themselves. Number six, the sixth element is inflexibility. This is bigger, I think, in the autism community, Asperger's and high functioning autism. But it also is a big part of ADHD often as well. And it's because of those lagging skills, really, and of concrete thinking. You know, somebody who thinks very black and white, very there's only one way, um, that creates what looks like inflexibility. My son is definitely a concrete thinker. He has learned as he's, as he's gotten older to be a little more flexible in his thinking just by... Um, being aware of his peer interactions and other interactions and kind of learning from them and trying to pattern after them. But he can be very inflexible. He, he does get stuck in his thinking sometimes and he gets very much stuck on kind of one way for something to happen. And of course that looks like he can't be flexible, but the thing is, you know, we're asking our kids to be super flexible and often we're not flexible with them. We're not modeling that behavior and that's a real mistake. So be sure that you're showing your kids that there's more than one way to do things. You're showing them how to be flexible by having that behavior with them or around them as well. And next time your child feels like they're being inflexible, ask yourself why. Why are they having that behavior in that moment reacting to whatever it may be? That's going to give you some really solid insight into what is happening so that you can address it. You know, of course, we don't want our kids to live their whole life inflexible. It is not going to work out very well for them, right? People expect flexibility out of one another, especially in the workplace and in school. So we want to be sure to work on that skill with them. And the only way to work on the inflexibility is to talk through it, do some behavior modification, and of course, model that for our kids. Number seven is intensity. That is the seventh element that we are often not pointed to when we get a diagnosis or even in therapy and so forth. And intensity and inflexibility kind of go hand in hand um, in the sense that you really, they're both kind of a lack of um, 
understanding of how to react. You know, intensity can certainly come with hypersensitivity that we've already talked about. It can come with poor emotional regulation and self-regulation. And so when your child feels like they are being overly intense for a situation, it's good to understand that that could be due to a lot of different things and to think about those things and how you might help them to be a little less intense when it's more appropriate. So talking about um, emotional reactions, for instance, if your child gets really upset about something and it seems like they're kind of acting like a baby or they're acting very immaturely, It's important to understand why they have that reaction, why they have that particular intensity so that you can address it. So you can help them to do better the next time in that area. Um, And again, a lot of it has to do with emotional recognition and awareness and self-regulation. Another area that an occupational therapist could work on, but also um, a player talk therapist could work on intensity and inflexibility with you and your child as well. And then the last element that I want to talk about today that's part of ADHD is a seeming lack of motivation from our kids. And this is a big stickler. I want you guys to realize that your child with ADHD is working very hard to meet expectations in their day-to-day, and they are working far harder than we realize. And so to keep telling them to try harder, work harder, um, do better, that is insinuating to them that they're not trying. And I guarantee you that they are trying. Kids do well when when they can. That's a big um, quote from Ross Green. Kids do well when they can. So if they're not doing well, why? If they look like they're not motivated, ask yourself why they might be avoiding that particular activity or task that you think they should be more motivated about. Schoolwork and homework is a really good example in a lack of motivation. I hear so many parents complain that their kids with ADHD are not motivated to do their schoolwork or aren't motivated to do well at it. And I would challenge that thinking They really do want to do well. They really do want to meet their teachers and their parents' expectations. So a lack of motivation is coming from somewhere else. And this is where we'll talk about the ADHD brain a little bit, as I alluded to earlier in this episode. The ADHD brain is motivated by interest and urgency, A neurotypical brain is motivated by interest, urgency, and importance. So for most kids, they go to school and they know that it's important that they finish their math worksheet or whatever it may be. And so they do it because it's important. The ADHD brain does not have that same motivating factor. So you need to look for ways to make it interesting. Um... And you need to understand that when they're not motivated on the surface to do something, 
there's likely another reason behind it. Again, with the example of schoolwork, a learning disability could definitely look like a lack of motivation on the surface. Um, Avoiding reading, avoiding writing, avoiding math in particular, certain subjects could be a red flag that they're struggling in those areas and there's something else to look at. So those are the different um, features, different elements of ADHD that I have learned over the years are really important to focus on and to understand so that we can understand our kids better. If we're not understanding them, their behaviors, their motivations, their interests and talents, then we cannot do our best for them and they will continue to struggle. So I hope that this has been really informative for you, a little bit of an eye-opener. And, you know, do some more research on these things. There are more articles here on the website at parentingadhdandautism.com. Attitude Magazine and attitudemag.com is another really great resource of a lot of articles on these specific um, elements of ADHD and addressing them and managing them. So, you know, of course, as parents, we have to put in the work. And I think the first step of that in helping our kids with ADHD and high-functioning autism succeed is to really understand them. I will see you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit the website parentingadhdandautism.com for so much more on successfully raising kids with ADHD. Be sure to check out the podcast section as well for previous shows. Join us next time for more parenting strategies and insights that actually work for kids with ADHD.